So I jotted down a couple shilas. I want to just start off by making a clarification, and I want to probably rectify something I said wrong last week. So there were two people that loyal listeners that that wrote in um, that they they called me. It happens to be was Elon and, and uh, uh, Elon Jeff and Ellie Reader. I was very happy that they did. So I wanted to clarify one point because I, I I definitely made an error. So last week I was talking about panim chadashes. So I mentioned that if you don't have panim chadashes at a sheva brachis. You don't say all of them, you just say the last one. That's true. And then I mentioned a story. Now, the story that I mentioned was that at my house once, we couldn't get Panam Chadashis, so we didn't do all of Sheva Brachas. Now, I thought the story, and I said the story happened on a Friday night. Now, here's the problem. Um, that, no, it did not happen on a Friday night, because the halacha is, as brought down in Shulchan Aruch, you do not need Panam Chadashis on Friday night, because Friday night is the Panam Chadashis. So I was thinking to myself, so they, they pointed that out, which I, I appreciate. By the way, Shabbos Day also don't need Panam Chadashis. Shalashudis is a machloikis. According to the Shulchan Aruch, you need Panam Chadashis. According to the Ramami Panu, a big makubal, you don't. And basically the way we paskin is like the Shulchan Ezer. The Shulchan Ezer says that for Shalashudis, you don't need Panam Chadashis if you say Torah. So if you have Shabbos with Torah, that's the Panam Chadashis. So I was, I was racking my brain. So what was the story? Okay, so the story was as follows. Friday night we had, we had Sheva Brachas and I couldn't get Panam Chadashas. So they were talking about what do you do if there's no Panam Chadashas. So I said in general this, but we ended up making it because it was Friday night. What ended up happening was there's a different Misa. The different Misa was, it was a Friday, it was a second Sheva Brachas on a Friday night. We couldn't get a minion. That's what it was. It wasn't we couldn't get Panam Chadashas. We were stuck at eight. And I was going down the street, and I couldn't get a minion. And that's when there's no minion, you don't say anything. So that was the case. I just wanted to clarify that point. It wasn't a lack of Panam Chadashas. That was one story, but we ended up just going with it because you don't need Panam Chadashas Friday night. The difference was is that uh, we didn't have a minion. And that was the story. So I just wanted to clarify that point because Friday night you do not need Panam Chadashas. So anyone that, uh, uh, that, was mis- uh, that, that, that I confused, I apologize about that. Uh, okay. A uh, couple of things I want to run through. Um, the first two Shailas are related to Hanukkah, just because I got asked this uh, uh, the last two days. We shouldn't know from these Shailas, but it's good to clarify them. You know them now, and then Bez Hashem, uh, we, we never have to know them practically. And that is um, two Shailas regarding two Avelas uh, and Hanukkah. Now, the first Shaila could be related to all of us, and that is, are you allowed to go to a cemetery on Hanukkah? So there's two reasons why a person would go to a cemetery. First of all, you have a family member, like a yard site. People go to their family members on a yard site. And secondly, you want to go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Kev, you want to go to a tzaddik, the Rimnitzer, you want to go to a tzaddik. So I've been told from people, you don't go to cemeteries on Hanukkah. You don't go on Rosh Chodesh, you don't go on Hanukkah. But I've also seen that there's a lot of people at the oil on Hanukkah, and there's a lot of people on Rosh Chodesh. So what's the story? So let me read you a few lines from the Ben Chai. The Ben Chai writes in Parshas Vayeshev Oischav Beis. B'chanukkah ein holchem lebeis hakvaris b'yayme yard site. We do not go to the cemetery on a yard site. For a regular family member, you do not go to the cemetery on a yard site on Hanukkah. Umi sheyesh lo yard site, betoichim e Hanukkah, yelich koidem Hanukkah. And if you have a yard site on Hanukkah, go before or go after. Do not go on Hanukkah. Now why? The reason is very simple. You're supposed to have a certain level of joy on Hanukkah, and going to a cemetery could lead you to crying, it could lead to sadness. So the Ben Chai is saying, don't go to the cemetery on Hanukkah. By the way, not just Hanukkah, it will be Rishchaydesh, or any day you don't say Tachanun. But then says the Ben Chai, But you're allowed to go to the Kever of a Tzadik. So a personal family member on a yard site, he says not. 
But Kivri Tzadikim is fine, because Kivri Tzadikim, there's always a purpose, and that's to daven and to, to have them be males Yosha for you. V'chein ha'minik po'yireinu, and the Ben Ishchai says, that's the minik in Baghdad. Sh'holchem ma'matzevas adeneni Yeshua ko'yin gadol b'teich mechanika, we go on Hanukkah. So the Ben Ishchai is saying that we go for Kivri Tzadikim, but not for personal kvaris to the cemetery on Hanukkah or Rishchaydash. But I just want to clarify, this is not so poshit. The Gesher Achayim, when it comes to Avelos, the Gesher Achayim was Rav Yechiel Michal Tukatsinski. He is like the, he was like the uh, Paisik in Eretz Yisrael in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, the 30s and 40s. So the Rav Yechiel Michal Tukatsinski writes this in Gesher Achayim Perich Hoftes Halochahe. He says as follows, Kosva Kolboi Vaberagoyla, the Kolboi and the Beragoyla say, We do not go to the cemetery on Rishchoydesh or Chanukah. Lofizeh. Right? But the minigas nowadays is to go on Hanukkah and Rishchaydish. So the, basically the, the Gesher Chaim is saying, while I understand what the Ben Chai is saying, the minigas to go. So just to summarize this second Shaila, are you allowed to go to a cemetery on Hanukkah? Kivrei Tzadikim for sure, yes. But if it's a family member, because a lot of times people have off from Hanukkah, so they're like, okay, it's convenient. I have a yard set around now, or I want to see my parents, I want to see my grandparents. So the Benish Chai says not to, but the Gesher Chaim says the Minig is to. So it's fine. So that would be the, the end of that. So it's the same thing. So Cholmoyed would be the same thing that the Benish Chai would tell you not to. But the, but the Gesher Chaim, the Gesher Chaim seems to be Mekel. But I think with Cholmoyed, I think Cholmoyed more people avoid. Uh, yeah, but it happens to be. Listen, Kivrei Tzadikim, they go. Kivrei Tzadikim, people go. Personal one, I think it would be Tali in the Shaila. It would be Tali in the Shaila. Like, like, no, any day you don't say Tachim. So like, Correct. Correct. But that's why the Minig is to go. That's my point. The Minig is to go even on days that you don't say Tachim. The only days that we don't go is, 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 is Shabbos and Yom Tif. To check Cholomayr. Cholomayr, I have to check. Erev Shabbos after Chatzos, a lot of people don't go. But the truth is, people go to the Kivir Tzadikim at that time also. Kivir Tzadikim, outside of Shabbos and Yom Tov, they're going to go every single time, basically. Um, okay, the third Shaila, uh, th- this I was asked yesterday, and that is, can someone during the year of mourning, can they go to a Hanukkah party? Hanukkah Masiba. So there's a couple types of Hanukkah parties I want to talk about. There's three types. There's your family Hanukkah party, uh, that you know, that you have your yearly family, family Hanukkah party. There's like a friend's Hanukkah. Do people do friend's Hanukkah parties? I think it's more family at this point. Friendsgiving. That's no, so they do a friend's uh, Hanukkah party. And the third one, and that's the most, it's going to be the most lenient, is a, a, a teacher will sometimes throw like a masiba in the school. Like the school will have like a Hanukkah party for the students. So I, I just want to talk about the first one. You have a family Hanukkah party or a friend's Hanukkah party. Are you allowed to go to a Hanukkah party? The truth is, so Ramosha Feinstein in... Uh, in Igris Moshe Yeridea Chelegimel Simenkuf Samachalif, he says the following two lines. Legabesudas Hanukkah, regarding uh, a person in mourning going to a Hanukkah party or a Hanukkah meal, Misha Isasuda Enasudas Mitzvah, you're not obligated to have a meal on Hanukkah. Right? You're not obligated to have a meal on Hanukkah. It's not like Purim. Right? That's the famous Meshabura, is that. I'm saying you're, never, you're not obligated to have a meal in general on Hanukkah. There's no, it's not a Sudas Mitzvah. And therefore, any Hanukkah party or any Hanukkah meal is not a Mitzvah. And therefore, you're not allowed to go. Meaning, Ramayish is saying, listen, someone in mourning does not go to a party and doesn't go to a large meal. Your reason to go is that it's a mitzvah. And Ramayish is saying, 
it's not really a mitzvah. A suda sechanika is not a requirement. And therefore, you're not supposed to go. And he says, And Ramayusha says, if you're a chassid and you want to go to your Rebbe's Hanukkah lightning, Hanukkah party, also don't go. So Ramayusha felt that you're not allowed to go to a Hanukkah party if you're in the year of Avelis. However, um, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky Shlita seems to be choylik in his Sefer Kovitz Halachis. And Rav, Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach says like this in, in, uh, in Halicha Shlomo. Rav Shlomo Zalman says, Avelim betoich yud beis Someone in mourning during the year of Avelus, mutarim l'shtatif besiba mishpachtis. He's allowed to go to a family Hanukkah party. Shanoigim l'arach midei shana l'kavad Hanukkah. It's fine. Because it's considered, it's considered a, it's considered a mitzvah. It's considered a sudas mitzvah. He follows the view that these are mitzvahs. And it's not a personal uh, joyous occasion. It's for the mitzvah. And therefore, he feels that it's completely fine. So Rabbi Ovelm uh, was asked about this. So he basically, Rabbi Ovelm's approach in Chuk Chaim is basically like this. If you can avoid it, avoid it. If you need to go, you can go. That's like that's basically what you're going to do with these type of situations. Ramosh is against it. Rosh Zaman's fine with it. So if you could avoid it, of course avoid it. So that's why I would tell you. That's why to me... To, yeah, to me, exactly. That's the difference. A family Hanukkah party, you may not be able to get out of. So you should go. A friend's Hanukkah party, you probably can't get out of it. So avoid it. But I would also say like this. If you have someone that's... You also have to have an Allah. You have to have Seichel. And that's how you have someone who's who's going through the year of Avelis. And they're depressed. And they, they, they need... They need something fun. It's, 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 it's fine. You have what to rely on. Now, the last part of this Shaila is a teacher. If a teacher has a Hanukkah party in their school, that's Rabbi Olam says, Beferish and Chukei Chaim, that he says, Beferish is fine. That's not a Hanukkah party. That's, that's part of your job. You're a teacher. You got you to gotta, you gotta throw a party. That's part of your job. That's not a, a Simcha Dikav Hanukkah party. That he felt is fine. Try not to sing and dance. But that he felt is completely fine. So that would be the halacha for a Hanukkah party. If your family is having a Hanukkah party and it's important for you to go, you definitely can go. Again, I wouldn't dance. I, I can't imagine dancing at a family Hanukkah party. But uh, but uh, okay, if that's what they do, <laughs> there's no simcha for me. I can go to that. There's no simcha. Huh? The so that, that they bring down that and Rosh Hashanah was was lenient more for Sfardim than for Ashkenazim because in this area of Avelis Sfardim are a little more lenient but again if need be if the kid needs it again the kid's in Avelis you understand it's not this is not an area where you should have that much Chumrah uh, on him we try to be a little more lenient when it comes to Avelis than, uh, than other areas um, okay so moving right along I have three other Shailas that I want to touch on and then I'm happy to take any shadows. You know what? I'll, I'll do the more random one first that's not relevant. I mean, if, uh, not relevant. I mentioned it this morning in the end of Daf, and then I'll come into the two very, very practical ones. Um, there's a concept that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, there's a Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch writes in Arachaim, Simin Kuf Chavches Siflamid Hey. Now, the Shulchan Aruch writes like this Koyen Shaharag Hesanefesh. If a Koyen killed somebody, even accidentally. So if a Koyin took someone's life by accident, he's not allowed to dochen. That's it. He's out. And it's based on the Gemara, that the Gemara says the hands of someone that took someone's life cannot bless the Jewish people. Okay. So if a Koyin killed someone even accidentally, he cannot dochen anymore. And here's the, the, the stringency of Svaradim over Ashkenazim. Afilu also tshuva. Tshuva doesn't help. Meaning, so if you have someone that killed someone accidentally and uh, he feels broken about it and he's crying and he went to jail and all these things and he has remorse, he can never do him. 
That's for Svardim. Ashkenazim hold, the Ramah says, no, he could do tshuva. If he does tshuva, of course he does tshuva. He has to do tshuva. But if he does tshuva, he can go back to blessing the Jewish people. That's from the Ramah. And the Ramah says, it's a good thing. You never want to de-incentivize tshuva. You want to incentivize tshuva. So if someone knows that if he does tshuva, he still can't bless the Jewish people, he's not going to do tshuva. So do tshuva. So that's an area where we're more strict by svardim than by Ashkenazim. Now the reason why this is negeya is Rav Avadia had a tshuva, Rav Avadia Sef has a tshuva, which I'm not going to go through the tshuva right now, because again, it's not very relevant. I'll tell you why it came up. It came up after daf this morning. Rav Avadia had a tshuva. What if someone, um, what if a kayan was driving drunk and he got into a car, he killed somebody. So so for Ashkenazim, it's not relevant if he does tshuva. I'd like to think that the person will do tshuva if he took someone's life. He does tshuva, he can bless the Jewish people again. Svardim, they can't. So now you have to get into the category. Is it shogig? Is it mazid? Is it ones? What if you're driving the speed limit and, God forbid, a kid jumps out in front of a car? You did nothing wrong. What if you ran a red? What if you were drunk? And these are all details that Rav Vadya goes through in a tshuva. Again, not for now. Hopefully it should never be relevant. But the tshuva that I did, that someone did ask, is what happens if a soldier uh, killed an enemy? So does that mean that, uh, that a soldier who took an enemy's life can't, uh, can't bless uh, the Jewish people for Svardim? So the answer is, of course not. There's a tshuva from Ramosha and Ravavadya. So Ramosha has a tshuva where Ramosha was talking about, I think we were talking about this morning, Ramosha was talking about the Russian army. Ramosha was talking about the fact that, I think this is during World War I, that there were Jews that were drafted against their will into the Russian army, and they were fighting against the other side, and they were killing other people. And those other people could have been Jews also. Right? Ramosha says they could still bless the Jewish people. Why? Because he says this is not murder that's a choice. They were drafted by the army against their will. They had to. So it's an onus. It was against their will. If you kill someone against your will, that you could do, that you could bless. Ravadia says, what about a soldier in the Israeli army? So Ravadia says, you don't need that. Ramosha was addressing a situation where you're potentially killing a Jew. And you're killing someone that's, you know, maybe they're shooting at you, maybe not, whatever. Then you say, Ravadia says, if a, an Israeli soldier is, a, is protecting the Jewish people and protecting his country, and he's dealing with enemies that are trying to kill him, the halacha is very clear that if someone attempts to kill you, you have a mitzvah to kill him. So to God forbid, so he says, they're doing a mitzvah, and therefore it's, it's absolutely no halachic problem, there's no shayla, the shayla is only on their situations, but for this there would be zero shayla at all, they would be allowed to, to bless the Jewish people without a question. That's what Ravadi says, I just came up this morning, so I'll mention it, but uh, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's, not, it's not a concern. Alright, done with that. Okay, the last two shaylas I wanted to deal with is like this. The first shayla is uh, a little more simple, and that is like this. I've mentioned this in the past that there's a misconception that people have that when it comes to tefillas kalim, right? When you buy a new vessel, you dip it in the mikvah. Similar to conversion, someone goes from non-Jew to Jew, dip in the mikvah. So to food vessels, to go from non-Jewish ownership to Jewish ownership, you dip in the mikvah. So there's a misconception that people have that you could use it once before. It's not true. It's completely made up. You can't buy a frying pan from the store and say, like, I'm just going to use it once, and then I'll dip it in the mikvah. It's completely made up. Where does it come from? All misconceptions have some level of truth. I mean, it's all ignorant application. There's an element of truth. The element of truth is that disposable items, according to most paiskin, you don't have to title. 
that's because they're not considered vessels. Like Rav Moshe had a shita, right? If you go to take a 9 by 13 disposable pan, you don't have to dip that into the mikvah. Why? Because it's disposable. It's one-time use. It's, in Hebrew, those items are called chad pa'ami. They're called one-time use. So people think like, oh, one-time use is okay. No, no, no. The fundamental difference is one-time use vessels are not vessels in halacha. This is a frying pan. It's a vessel. You can't use it once. So... Yeah. Oh, so so it happens to be. I'll mention that as an aside. So Rav Moshe Shita, there were Paiskim who held that way. There were Paiskim who held that if you take a disposable item and you reuse it, you have to table it. I will tell you Rav Moshe Shita. I always followed Rav Moshe Shita. Rav Moshe Shita was you take a Snapple bottle again. They don't have Snapple bottles anymore that are glass now. They're plastic. But you take a Schnapps bottle. Okay. Rav Moshe Shita is that when you buy a Snapple bottle or a Schnapps bottle, right, everyone agrees you could empty the content. You could drink it. According to most opinions, you could drink it, right? And then, then it's done. That's a disposable, not that the material is disposable, but that the normal usage, when you're buying it, you're not buying really the bottle. You're really buying the contents, and the bottles are just like sort of shipping methods. They're not really significant from your perspective or from halakha perspective. Ramayusha Shita was that if you want to reuse it, you can. Why? Again, there are places who disagree, but Ramayusha said the reason why you can is, is because really the first time it's considered disposable, it's insignificant. What gives it significance is your decision. Then it's considered a vessel that's made by a Jew. That's what he's like, right? If a vessel is made by a Jew, it doesn't need to be less kalim. It's only when it's made by a non-Jew. So this glass is really deemed insignificant because it's meant to be thrown out by the manufacturer and by the person who buys it. So it's considered like the shell of a nut. It's not significant. The main contents are the only thing that's significant. What gives it now significance, what makes it a vessel, is your desire to reuse it. So your desire to reuse it gives it significance. So now it's made by a Jew. That's our Moshe Shita. That's okay. okay. That, that, that's the Shita. See, here's the Shai like I'd asked. You have a vessel. It was a dish. You wanted to put cookies and like a platter. It was before Shabbos. So you got to dip it in the mikvah. Problem is they didn't have time. So he said, here's what I'll do. I'll put down like a silver foil, not a silver foil, like a, like a paper, like a doily paper. I'll put it down so that the cookies don't touch the vessel. No. So here's the sheet. Let me read you a few lines. This is from a Sefer Pesachim of Tshuva. It's based on Rav Shleim Zaman Orbach in Tshuva's Mincha Shleim, Achelik Beis, Simen Samach Vav Aishei. I say this because there are people who listen, they should have the Marmah comes. So Rav Shleim Zaman was asked this Shailon. Rav Shleim Zaman said as follows, Kli HaMetsupa B'Dover Dak, basically says like this, if you have a vessel that you put down just a piece of silver foil, that's not considered a separation. The silver foil is insignificant and it's a bottle to the kli. Therefore, that is not an etza. But that's where you're trying to cover the vessel. Covering the vessel. Now, because one of the halachas that I forgot to mention is the Ramah in Simon Yeridea, Simon Kufchaf, Sif Dalit writes, it's called tripadish. Tripadish was basically the burners on top of the oven. You don't have to dip the burners on top of the oven, on top of the stovetop in the mikvah. Why? Because it never comes in contact with food. You always put the, the, you put the pots on top, really. That's the overwhelming majority of cases. So, so they said, so okay, I'll just put down silver foil. The answer is no. Silver foil is not of a separation. But... If I put food in a box on the dish, then it's fine. Meaning, if I have a, a glass dish and I want to put a thing of cookies and I just put like a little doily down that doesn't help, 
But if I take Oreos in the box and I put it down, then it's fine because then they're in a vessel on the plate as opposed to a piece of silver foil, which is insignificant. So if you take Kit Kats, having a weird party, and you're putting around, a, you're passing around a, a tray of just Kit Kats, you don't have to title it because each one is it's in its own encased vessel. I, the wrapper of a Kit Kat is tiny thin, and it might be the same thickness as silver foil. The answer is, it's not a matter of the thickness. It's a matter of the tsura, of how it's being formed. When you're trying to block the dish, that doesn't help. If the items are in their own vessel, then it's deemed a separation. Then you don't have to title it. Okay, so I just wanted to mention that halacha. The last halacha that I want to mention, it might take me a few more minutes to clarify, and then I'm happy to, you know, it's always hard for me to know how long things take because I'm sitting in my basement just thinking and looking at the notes and questions. Um, the question that I had like this, so I once gave a shir, this is years ago. I remember I gave a shir. This is like in the old place, probably seven or eight years ago. And I mentioned, I wanted to pick an example of something that's just usser on Shabbos. Just like universally, like a no-go on Shabbos. So I said, like brushing your teeth. And I remember I got like some weird looks at the table. So I was like, why is everyone looking at me? And they were like, you can't brush your teeth? So I was like, of course not. See, I was raised in the yeshiva world, and I'll explain why, I'll go through this in a moment. In the yeshiva world, and in the more right-wing, ultra-Orthodox world, brushing your teeth on Shabbos is mamish, like, you don't do it. If my mother saw me brushing my teeth on Shabbos, she'd go, what are you doing? In my yeshiva, if you brush your teeth, you go to the Rosh Hashiva. There were two paiskim who were lenient, famously who were lenient, Ravad Yosef and Rav Soloveitchik. So it happened to be at that shear, it was all why you guys inspired them. So they were all just looking at me like, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course you can brush your teeth. So I just want to clarify, because someone asked me a few days ago, what is the deal of brushing your teeth on Shabbos? Uh, let me take just a few moments to work through. Um, let's, let's start with the first thing, toothpaste. Okay, You have the brush. I'll tell you like this, to take a toothbrush that's dry with nothing on it, no wet, and just put it on your teeth, that's fine. No one will have an objection to that. But you want to put toothpaste on. So Ramosha Feinstein, in Arachayim and Simon Kufyud Beis and Kufchaf Beis, Ramosha Feinstein was asked about this and he said, you're not talking about toothpaste because it's of course Osir. Uh, the Isser is Mimareach. Mimachik is, there's a biblical prohibition of taking like a hard wax and basically adding it to a layer of the floor. Like waxing the floor is a biblical prohibition. The rabbis extended it to anything that's thick. Any thick lotion or any thick shampoos or any thick creams is rabbinically forbidden. So Ramosha says you're taking a paste and it's thick and you're spreading it on your teeth. That's, that's, that's a rabbinic prohibition. It wasn't just Ramosha, it was the Tzitzliezer and it was the Shevet Alevi, the Chuli. Ravavadi was Mekel, and so was Rasulavechik. Rasulavechik is in Nefesh Arav, and Ravavadi is in Yabiyamer. Why was Ravavadi Mekel? It's very interesting. <laughs> Ravavadi says there's a there's a sheet of the Magen Avram. The Magen Avram says that if someone spits phlegm on the floor, you could rub it on on a, on a dirt floor. You could rub it so that it's not uh, you know visible. Spread it out. So he says, so why isn't it a problem of mimareach? So says the Magen Avram, Mimareach only applies when you want to add another layer. But when you're trying to get rid of it, then it's not a problem. Meaning, if I want to add a layer to the floor of a new substance and I want it to be there, 
That's the issue. Bravadia says, when it comes to toothpaste, you don't want the paste to stay on your teeth. You want to rub it across your teeth and then rinse it away. So he feels that that's considered similar to spit and to saliva, that it would be okay. Now, first of all, you could say that there's a difference between the two, that saliva you completely want to get rid of and you have no desire for it to stay. Over here, you want it to stay for a moment and then, okay, fine. But that's Rav Avadia's opinion and Rav Soloveitchik felt the same way. Now, by the way, according to this, I would not do this without asking a Shaila. Please ask a Shaila because I could tell you, like I said, I don't, I, I would never use toothpaste on Shabbos. Like to me, it would be, it would be like a, I feel like a really, really wrong thing to do just based on how I was raised because I always found Ramesha in this. Um, there were Paiskim who felt that if you take cream and you rub it into your hand to the point where it gets like it doesn't stay on top, it gets completely like rubbed in, according to Ravavadi, it might be okay. You have to ask a Shaila. Again, you got to ask someone who's a Ravavadi guy. I happen to have someone in the neighborhood. Uh, Rav Gabi Elbaz is a Bucky in Ravavadi's Shittas. I'll give you his number. You could talk to him. Um, I would also think potentially, potentially, I don't know, and you got to ask someone who holds like Ravavadia and who follows the Soloveitchik. I would assume that they would probably be okay with using shampoo on Shabbos, right? I always, I don't use shampoo. I use liquidy shampoo. I'd have to liquidify it to the point where it spreads on its own so that it's, right? The, the kosher toothpaste, the way they, if you want Ramosha to be okay with toothpaste, is you have to make it, not Ramosha, because Ramosha was against liquid soap also, but if you want the other skin to be okay with toothpaste, they sell this kosher toothpaste. It's basically liquid. It's so liquid that if it hits the table, it spreads. It doesn't work, because you put it on a toothbrush, it just... So it's basically making it liquid. So then it's not a problem marech anymore. Marech is only for something that's a little thicker. I would assume, I could be wrong, I don't see why, sounds like an out there theory, I would look at shampoo as toothpaste of the hair. That's how I would look at toothpaste of the hair. I don't see why it should be much of a difference. You're rubbing it and then you're rinsing it off. It makes bubbles, that makes bubbles, this makes bubbles. I don't, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know. I, I, I don't use either. I, I think they're both usher. But... Ask someone who holds like Rav Soloveitchik, or is a Rav Shechter Talmud. I, I don't know what Rav Shechter would say. I probably should have researched what Rav Shechter says about shampoo, because he probably has his opinion out there. But yeah, uh, that, that, that we'll put aside. The point is, so the toothpaste Shaila is Rav is against it. Rav Soloveitchik and Rav Avadi are okay with it. Again, the Svar is behind her. It's sort of not as important. Those are the Shittas. Um, so let's put the toothpaste aside. This one. So the first one is the toothpaste, and that's the problem of Mareach. So let's say, okay, you want to use, you, you'll be makel or you want to be machmer. So I just want to use a toothbrush, but I want to rinse the toothbrush. I want to wash the toothbrush. Ramayisha says that's also usr. Why? It's called schita. Schita means squeezing. Now, generally when you squeeze, you have water that's absorbed like in a t-shirt and you squeeze it out. You're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. Over here, the water is not absorbed in the bristles, but because the bristles are so compact, it's called kanos besoichai, that it's like you're squeezing it from between the bristles. And that's also rabbinically not allowed. So that's why when they sell in the stores, they sell a toothbrush kit. It's liquidy toothbrush, toothpaste, and the toothbrush has like six rubber giant bristles. It's like a Dr. Seuss version. It, it, it does almost nothing. I, I, that's if you want to go like Ramosha. So that's a schita, that's a problem of schita. Ravavadia is lenient on that as well because Ravavadia says schita is only rabbinic. And over here, you don't really intend to squeeze it out. It's davar she'en mischavin. So, according to many post-communion, Roshleim Zalman questioned it, because Roshleim Zalman said, what do you, why, why are you not mischavin? Of course you want it to be squeezed out. You want to add, that's part of brushing your teeth, as you have the, the liquid from inside the bristles with the toothbrush, and it makes a paste, and 
Wow. Okay. But Rav is Mekel, Rav is Machmer. Last part of the Shiloh. So you basically have two approaches of how to brush your teeth. Rav and Rav basically hold you could do regular. Rav holds you have to use a dry toothbrush. Can't use any toothpaste and you can't rinse it before. So let's say you did your dry toothbrush. You're yeshivish, you did your dry toothbrush. You, yeah, but that, that they feel is insignificant, that they're not machmer about. So you did that. So here's the question. I'd like to rinse it off afterwards. That is a problem. It seems to be that's an issue according to the overwhelming majority of Paiskim. Rav Avadia was even machmer about that. Rav Ben-Sin was machmer about that because they said that's called hachana, right? If you're done, you're only going to brush your teeth once. It's Shabbos morning, you're not going to brush your teeth again until after Shabbos. So you're rinsing it off to make sure that it's clean for next time. That's hachana. That's preparing for next time. You're not allowed to be a, make a mechan on Shabbos. That's preparing from Shabbos for weekday. So I, I would say this. So if you want to brush your teeth, you follow Rav Soloveitchik, fine. You follow Rav Vadya, fine. Okay, shine. But you should not be rinsing it off afterwards. I want to make one point also clear because I, I feel like I'm, I might as well because I know people that are going to listen to this. They know who I'm. They, whatever. I don't. If you're going to follow Rav Soloveitchik, then you better be like a YU guy. Like, I, I'm coming across a lot of people that are just like, they pick stuff. I'm not into that. You can't just, like, I, I, tell, I, tell, I, tell, I think I told you this story once that there was, there was a lady. This, like, I, I've seen this thing where people will just, like, start picking things. Pick, there's, like, there's, you, if you have your Messiah, listen, a, a lot of, a common thing nowadays I've seen is people waiting three hours after Milchik and Fleshik. Now, there are legitimate sources that do wait three hours, German Jews. But I've noticed that there's some people that are like, my family's from Poland. So I'm like, so why are we waiting? Oh. I, I think that people should, you know, pick Hanhaga of Klal Yisrael. In America, the Hanhaga, I could tell you, outside of the YU world and outside of the Sephardi world, the Hanhaga is not to brush your teeth. I could tell you right now. I'm just telling you, I, I, I feel confident about that. I don't know, I could in America, you go to the average yeshiva, they don't do that. So you want to do it? Okay, fine. But if you're going to follow Rasulovechik, I think you should probably be a little consistent. Don't just find kulas. You understand? Just like, oh, I find this kula and I find that kula. Try to be consistent. Like people ask me a lot when it comes to like, you know, you, you send me a lot of things. I, I, have, I have to get back to you about like, what are you davening? I'll tell you like this. The, the simple answer, follow your nusach. If you have a shayla of what do I say, follow your nusach. Be consistent. Uh, do I say this bracha? Do I say that? Follow your nosach. If you have a nosach Ashkenaz, follow nosach Ashkenaz. Sfard, Eidot Mizrach, Tilas Hashem. Just follow your, just be a little consistent. I'm just noticing, uh, you know, a fraction of people that'll be like, oh, I do this and I do that. I'm like, okay, let's just try to pick a lane. It's hard. I know I'm a, I myself, I'm a little confused. And you know what? If you're not sure, probably best to be a little more machmer and not to pick a more uh, individualized shita that is not necessarily part of the mainstream approach. I'm not saying that true when it comes to toothpaste, but just in general, just if you're not sure, go with the average person, right? Let's say someone comes to you, they're not sure, do they wait six hours or three? I could tell you, the overall majority of people that don't come from Germany and don't come from Holland, wait six hours. So you should probably wait six hours. That's what I would say. Again, I, I don't know, I could be wrong. I just say, if you're not sure, unless your family comes from that, if your family is just a little more modern orthodox, they just don't want to wait six hours. I don't think that's as legitimate. I think you should wait six hours unless that's your messiah. I just think that there's a there's like a little bit of a, a picking and choosing. Just try to be consistent. Every shita, you'll get your kulas, you'll get your chumras. It's a little bit of a risk. Svaradim get their kulas, they get their chumras, Ashkenazim also. Just try to be consistent and then it'll kind of avoid all these problems.
By the way, it's a very good point that liquid soap for it to be okay. Ramosha was against liquid soap, but if you want it to be okay with liquid soap, liquid soap, Ravelsky said that it has to be that it hits the table and spreads. That is the barometer. That's the Gedder Hadvarim. If it's too thick, then it would be an issue. And if you have liquid soap, just put it in your hand and, 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 and dilute it, and that would avoid that problem.